Matthew chapter 22. Right in the beginning. My Bible says that this is called the parable of the marriage feast. If I were to give it a title, I would call it the parable of the wedding garment. Because I think that's the really critical thing that's in this. And I hope to show that to you. Let's bow before the Lord, everybody, and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can be gathered together here and wherever everybody else is. You have made us a church. You have raised up this ministry. You have made this a body of believers, part of your manifestation of your body to the world, which the church is. And we still find ourselves here and there. I'm thankful for a few people here today. It's great to see some faces, even if those faces are far apart from one another. But, uh, Lord, um, I thank you for this, and thank you for everyone who's tuned in. We just thank you and praise you, Lord. God, help us to be wise one week at a time with regards to how to do this. We want people to be safe. We want you to be glorified. You know what I've been saying all along, Lord God? We want it to be about your glory and the safety of your people and the testimony of our church and our community. And help us, Lord God, to make wise decisions one week at a time. Your wisdom. We pray you can give us wisdom and we pray you continue to give the president and vice president, our governor, the mayors, give all those people who are making these decisions wisdom. They have their authority from you. We submit to it as we submit to you. They are your ministers. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help them to make wise decisions. Help them to turn to you. Help them to look to you. They need the gospel. Help us, Lord, as we read and study your word today to learn from this wonderful parable that our Lord Jesus taught. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray. Amen. So to give you a little background of the parable before I read it, it starts right in Matthew 22 and verse 1. Jesus was just in one of these, you know, confrontations with the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, right? So if you back up just a couple of verses, he had quoted from Psalm 118, which is about himself. And uh, it says in verse 42... He asks them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So it talks about the chief builders rejecting, you know, the, the stone, but the Lord making it the chief cornerstone. And he's like referring to himself, and he's referring to them as being the ones who rejected him. So Jesus says in 43, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, that's pretty plain, taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whom whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And there you see Jesus with his own words, making himself the great dividing sword between men, right? You either come to Christ and believe on Jesus, the Messiah, and by faith receive him and you are saved by his grace, or if you reject him, you're one of those who the last part of it talks about. You either fall on this stone, which is a reference to, I think, a person coming to the end of themselves, realizing that because of their sin they can't justify themselves, and they realize that that 
chief cornerstone is their only hope of salvation. And they come to Jesus and they put all their faith, all their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you reject it, it flips around and the stone falls on you. You either are in Christ or you're not in Christ. Or as I like to say, everybody in the world is either my brother and sister in Christ or someone who I really wish would become my brother and sister in Christ. Right? Now, verse 45 tells us, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, look at this, they perceived that he was speaking of them. They got something right. (laughs) Good. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they, the multitudes that is, took him for a prophet. Right. So then you come to verse 22, uh, chapter 22 and verse 1, which says, and Jesus answered. So in other words, Jesus is responding to the fact that the chief priests and Pharisees are offended by the fact that in his teaching, on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder, he's referring to them. He doesn't back off. He teaches this parable, and this parable speaks something about them, but then it goes beyond them, and it runs the entire a landscape almost of history, if you will, starting from the time that God used Moses to call the children of Israel to himself, spanning all the way to the time of the church and, and, and the judgment of God. And it's a tremendous parable. It's got a couple of layers to it. Let me just go ahead and read it. Here we go. Matthew 22 and verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said... The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, How did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, to start back in the beginning of this, just to unpack it, let's get right into it. We see that Jesus in this parable, like in most of his parables, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and he uses something very earthly and natural and easily relatable and understandable for anyone to describe 
a certain quality of his kingdom. And like I said, in here, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a spanning of like so much of history even that he seems to be describing. It says that he arranged a marriage for his son. Now, the easiest way to understand this, there are so many, because it's such a long parable, there are many symbols in it that represent different things. I think it's very easy to see that the king is representative of God, God the Father, that is, and then the son is representative of Jesus, the son. Right. So Jesus is teaching this parable, and his father is the king, and he himself is the son. Now, don't get distracted or confused. In actuality, we know that uh, the Bible describes Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. For the sake of this parable, that's set aside. He's not trying to describe that theology. He's trying to describe the kingdom of God using these terms. All right? So, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. They made light of it. They went their own ways to their farms, to their business, and they killed these. So you have two layers of servants that the king sends out. The first group goes out and just simply says, let's go. The wedding's ready. Come on. Right? And people reject that invitation. They weren't willing. Verse 4, he sends out more servants. And these servants run into more trouble. These servants are mocked, they're ignored, and eventually they're even beaten up and killed. What I think this refers to is, again, speaking to the Pharisees and the chief priests as being representative of Israel. The first layer of servants, I think, is a representation of Moses and the law. That was like the first calling of, of God. That's God giving them the law, telling them how they should live when they got into the promised land. And of course, we know, reading through history, that they mostly rejected that. And they had king after king after king. There were some good ones, but most of them forsook the way of the Lord. And so God sent them another layer of servants. Who were they? Those were the prophets, right? So God first sends and tells the children of Israel, uh, you know, this, these are my laws, these are my ways, walk in my ways and everything will be well with you. They reject that. So God sends them prophets. They reject those. They just go on about their business. No time for God's word. You know, we don't live now in that era, but so much of this world seems to be like that. There is the truth of God and the beauty of the gospel, the, the, the rich, deep truth of the Bible from cover to cover available for man. But man just goes on. He just goes on with all of his business. He goes on with his farm. He goes on with his work. He goes on with his family. He goes on with his recreation and his entertainment. When sitting right here for us is the truth of everything that God wants us to know. And so we have this, uh, we have this uh, situation here that he's speaking specifically to Israel about it. Now, he says, um, what was the result of it? They seized him, the servants, treated them spitefully, killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And I think at the time that Jesus spoke this, certainly the 
scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests could remember back to the time that the armies of the Babylonians came and took unfaithful Judah out of their country and destroyed the entire city and destroyed the entire temple. But of course, at the time Jesus was speaking, unbeknownst to them, what was still to come and very soon and did happen in 70 AD is that the Romans came to Jerusalem and completely destroyed the city and destroyed that second temple as well. So what happens is the summary of this parable so far is describing and putting the chief priests and the Pharisees in an even deeper hole. They were already offended that Jesus was talking about them, about being ground to powder by the chief cornerstone. Now he's like very ominously telling them, look, God is not happy with the fact that they rejected the law, they rejected the prophets, they continue on in their godless, faithless, religiously oppressive ways, and God wasn't just going to go on with it forever. So that's what was coming. But then it doesn't end there, does it? Then it goes beyond. And this is where it becomes especially, I think, revealing for us. Right? Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. What is this layer of servants we're talking about? Now, I think, Jesus is speaking of what he was going to do when he sent his apostles out, even among the Gentiles. Go out to all the people of the world. Go out to the highways. Go everywhere you can go, and whoever you can invite, invite them. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of the preaching of the gospel to all of the nations, right? And so now we're, now we're into that. See how it just, this parable just spanned right across the time of the old covenant into the new covenant, which Jesus was about to seal with his own blood. So he says, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go into the highways, as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And there is a really interesting picture of the gospel, isn't it? Because the gospel just goes out and meets everyone, wherever they are. And that's what Christians are supposed to be doing today. That's certainly what the apostles did. That's certainly what the early church and the church fathers did. And that's what every church throughout church history, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're still supposed to be in this process right now of going out into the highways. Listen, even if you're at home, you can go out into the digital highways. You can go, you can use the... The, the access to the internet that you have now. And you can reach out to people. But even so, you can still call people. Things are loosening up and you're very carefully, very uh, observantly maybe going out in public. You still have the opportunity to reach out to people. We're still supposed to be saying to people, the banquet's ready, come on. The wedding is ready, come on. We're still supposed to be saying to people, the Lord Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And there is a place at his table for you if you will humble yourself and believe this good news. Stop trying to ignore it. Stop pretending it doesn't matter to you or it's irrelevant. Stop trying to look inside yourself and justify yourself by your own works or your own religious experience or your own family heritage or you just think you're not as bad as anybody else so you must be okay with God. Stop it. You're invited to the wedding. You're invited to come. 
God the Father has sent me to invite you and your ticket in is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're... And look, bad or good. We don't evangelize based on how we perceive people to be. Huh, I kind of like him. I'd really like him to come to church. Ah, I don't know. I can't, can you really see that person in here? That's not how we're supposed to do it. Every creature. Every creature. And look what the result is. Kind of fast forwarding a little bit now. It says, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, here comes the most interesting part of the whole thing. I shouldn't say that. It's all God's word. It's all very interesting. But here comes a climactic moment. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So the man is there, which is representative of the fact that he took the invitation to come in and he saw something about it that was attractive to him and he came in. But he was not properly clothed for the wedding. He was there. He was among those who were invited. He was among those who came, but he didn't really belong there. But here to me is the single most important part of this parable. The only one who could see it was the king himself. We go and we preach and we invite we are ambassadors speaking for God to the world, imploring people to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that brings in people, lots of people all over the world. There are people that come in and they're genuinely believers. But there are people who come in who are not and the people who did the inviting and the people who were the other guests apparently were either blind to it or unconcerned by it because their mission was simply to go out and invite people in. That's the mission of the church. We preach the gospel to people. We invite people into the fellowship of the church. We invite them to sit in fellowship and listen to the word of God. But ultimately, the state of a person's heart is between them and the Lord. And if a person is not properly attired for the wedding, the Father, God, the King, will see it. Our job as the church is to preach the gospel, to minister to those who come in, to share the word of God, to make disciples, to faithfully teach the scriptures, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. Ultimately, God is the one who can see the heart. God is the one who sorts all of that out. The king is also the judge. Boy, that garment was important, wasn't it? What is that wedding garment? Well, that wedding garment can only be one thing. That is the grace of God that we just sang about. The grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 61 speaks of putting on the garment of salvation. 
In Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul tells Christians, two true Christians, to clothe themselves in righteousness. That's not anything that we can find inside of ourselves. That is something that only comes to us by the grace of God. We are those wandering souls along the highways of life. Everyone, the Bible says, has turned to his own way and has gone astray from the Lord. We're unclean. We're dirty. The Bible gives us the holiness of God's law not to try to get us to keep it so we can justify ourselves because we never could. The Bible gives God's holy commandments to show us I fall so short of God's glory. The proud will look at that and scorn it. The proud will look at that and disdain it. The proud will look at that and mock it. The humble will look at that and say, Woe is me. God is holy and I am not. What am I going to do? You're invited to the wedding. Jesus, the Son of God, came here and he lived the perfect sinless life. And then at the end of his life, he surrendered himself to his captors, to those who would do what they would do. That was him doing it willingly, gladly, in obedience to his Father. When Jesus was arrested, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was sentenced to death. That was all part of the plan to redeem us. When Jesus died on the cross, he received in his body the punishment, the scourging, the nails, the blood. He received the wrath of God against our sin. And he died. On the third day, he conquered death. So so Jesus kept the law himself, fulfilled the law by taking its penalty when he died on the cross, which was death, and then destroyed the power of death and conquered it completely when he rose from the dead. Now the Bible says, if you want to be, listen, you're being invited right now. If you want to be at that wedding, properly attired, Come to faith in Jesus Christ. His grace. His grace through faith. That's the proper wedding garment. We don't always know. You look around and big massive seas of people who profess to be Christians in this kind of church, that kind of church, whatever. We don't know who's properly attired and who's not. We're just called to preach the gospel and love everybody. Try to be as discerning as you can. Certainly we stand and contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to all the saints. And, but really when it comes down to it, the Father is the one who can spot the improperly attired. The, pro, the Father is the one who can spot the phony, the false convert. The Father is the one who can spot the one who's the deceiver, who really has no fear of him, who has no true humility, merciless, ungodly, no faith whatsoever, no real faith. But listen, I'm telling you today, you need Jesus. He's invited you to come. He's invited the people of all nations to come to him and to receive salvation, to receive mercy, 
to receive forgiveness, to receive the gift of eternal life, everlasting life, never even the slightest fear of condemnation ever again. Oh, you'll still battle with sin. And you might say to yourself, man, how, how could this be? You know, listen, Jesus took the punishment for all of your sin. And now you walk through life not struggling, grinding it out, trying to prove yourself to Him. It's all finished. That's all done. Jesus took what God owed, not owed, but what God in His righteousness poured out for sin and His own wrath was satisfied. Come to Jesus and the struggle is over. No more condemnation. No more worry. No more battle with any of that. Oh, you'll still struggle with sin. You'll still battle with things in the flesh. You'll still battle in your life. We're called to grow. We're, the, the walk of the Christian is a narrow road and it's difficult and few find it. But listen, once you're in Christ, you've got the garment on. You've got the right garment on when you're in Christ. And yes, your life will produce fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But the important thing is that you're wearing the right wedding garment. Now listen, a warning here. The king was not happy. He was polite. Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? The guy was speechless and the king said to his servants, who are these servants? There's more servants. Well, if we're looking ahead to judgment, these look like the angels of heaven, the holy ones. And he says, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him in outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very consistent with Jesus' description of hell. Nobody talked about hell more than Jesus did. And Jesus' servants should preach and warn people about hell. It's real. And who goes there? Those who aren't wearing the garment. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, humbled themselves, come to Christ, and through the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God, receive Him. But if you reject Him, if you reject Christ, then this is the place that you end up. Verse 14 wraps this up by saying, many are called, but few are chosen. The many that are called, those are all of the ones that should really be everybody in the sense that we go out into the world and we just generally share the gospel with everybody. But then from within that group of people who receive the invitation, the number that actually put that garment on are relatively small. Don't miss out. Come to faith in Christ. Come, look, we are unrighteous and we don't deserve to be at that wedding. But Jesus, who is righteous, when we come to faith in Him, that righteousness of Him passes to us. It's credited to us as if we lived it, even though we never could. The righteousness of Jesus Christ gets us in. That's the garment you put on. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Come to Jesus. What, a, what an answer he gave to these guys. We think he's talking about us. Yes, I am talking about you. And then he addresses that, but then he goes on to talk all the way through the ministry of the new covenant. 
Come to Jesus and receive his salvation today. Stand in his grace. No more condemnation. No more fear of death. Trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and be ready for the king's wedding for his son when it comes. Jed and Amy are going to come back up and lead us in one more song. close by singing a song about coming to Jesus and whether we're believers, whether we're unbelievers, we need to be in a place where we are searching for God searching for God as an unbeliever um, to come to salvation as believers expressing our dependence on God, so let's uh, sing together near still near
Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you that by the blood of your cross you have drawn us near. And we're no longer aliens, but reconciled to you through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us now, Lord, to walk day by day near to you, closely with you, to draw near to you that you would draw near to us, as the scripture says. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our Lord crucified. Tremendous cost to you, great gain for us. We praise your holy name. Thank you for this time together. I pray that everyone, Lord, who is in the sound of hearing these things we've said today would come to faith in Christ, the only hope for salvation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there is anything that you've heard here today that you still have questions about, you want to know, you just kind of sense the Lord working in you, you want to come to faith in Christ, maybe you still need to know a little bit more, reach out to me. Send me a message there on Facebook, you know, and uh, I would love to just be able to talk to you more, just to minister to you some more. There's nothing that we want more here than to know that people know and believe the truth of the gospel, that they might have this wonderful gift of salvation from God, his love for you, his grace to you, all right? So reach out to me. Thank you so, uh, so much for taking the time to be here today. Uh, again, um, I guess if you're in the Kids Bible Club, you'll expect to hear from Angela pretty soon. I'll let you know later about youth group. See you Thursday night online here for the Lord's Supper, okay? God bless you, everybody. Thank you for being here. Have a great day.